Welcome to the teaser episode of Stoked, a fireside chats with Cher. Of course, this is a podcast. There is no fire, but there is hot sauce. And that is what we are going to be chatting alongside this season. Um, today, I am, uh, my vehicle of choice is almonds. And uh, I'm not actually having any hot sauce today. But these are spicy almonds. Uh, they're from Big Reds, not sponsored, uh, but Big Reds is uh, one of the brands that we will be sampling this season of hot sauce. And these are just absolutely delicious. They make um, some smother sauces and these almonds that they have coated in their hot sauces and some other glazes and delicious stuff. Um, and that kind of brings me to uh, kind of the overarching theme of this season, which is Black Lives Matter. And it's not just a hashtag. It's not just a moment in time. This isn't a wake up call, quote unquote. This is something that has just been ignored for years. Ferguson was six years ago. And I recognize in rap music I listened to from the 90s, hip hop music I listened to from the 90s, and even just themes in TV shows from when I was younger or a teenager that talk about all of the same things that we're talking about now. And I, every time I see somebody saying that like, this is, this was the boiling point or 2020 is the year that, you know, this is happening. Like, I think it's really important that we, when we hear those things that we acknowledge that this isn't new, this isn't something that's gotten worse. It's just that social media has changed the way that we communicate with each other and who gets to be loud? You know, it's no longer so easy to ignore. There's, you know, you, people in the street can take a, a video and that goes viral and it's no longer so much controlled by media or government or whoever is, you know, in con- was in control of kind of what narratives um, got to bubble up to mainstream. So... That brings me to my point that there are a lot of ways um, that you can be a part of anti-racism, talking to your friends and family who are struggling to sort of get on to their journey, people who are saying, quote unquote, all lives matter. I was one of those people many years ago. Um, It took me a while to understand uh, the privilege that I have despite coming from hardship and, you know, struggling in ways that a lot of other people haven't understanding how this, you know, I may have my own trauma, but that's not what we're talking about right now. And just, you know, remembering not to center yourself. So another thing that you can do, which is kind of the theme of, again, this sort of overarching theme um, of this season is to support black owned businesses. You know, one of the reasons that white people in 
especially in the United States, um, are the default is because those are the businesses, um, the people who get hired, the the representation that we have in all facets of our life by supporting, uh, intentionally supporting black owned businesses right now, you're taking a step towards moving towards that, writing that different story that should have always existed um, for our black neighbors and community members. There's this podcast or TED talk rather that I reach to a lot, which is the dangers of a single story. And I highly recommend that if it's not something you've listened to, that you listen to it and you really understand how powerful words and actions are and the lack thereof is even more important. So um, I'm really excited to talk about uh, these businesses uh, as we sample them with my future guests, some of which include the incredible Jem Young from Netflix and Chloe Condon and even more awesome people coming on the show to talk while we sample some spicy goodness. <laughs> so for this first episode, I did post something on Twitter for an AMA because I thought it'd be cool if uh, we fireside chatted with each other to start with. Um, and be- But before I want to do that, I did want to mention two sauces, which I'm not going to be sampling on the show, um, that are Black-owned businesses and are incredibly delicious. Um, and that is uh, Capital City Sauce. Uh, They have a mambo sauce and a sweet and spicy sauce. It's just absolutely delicious. Uh, Another brand is Mutt's Sauces. Again, kind of just smother sauces just for everything. Um, And that is not only a Black-owned business, but a veteran-owned business. And uh, he has a really spicy one called, uh, it's a ghost pepper flavored one. And it is absolutely delicious. Delicious. Uh, Big Reds also has some smother sauces if you want to check those out. Um, but we will be sampling um, some hot sauces from uh, Big Reds. And I am super excited because he has so many sauces and they are just mm, delicious. Let's get into the AMA. So when I last looked at this, it had way fewer questions. So I'm going to try to go through as many as I can. And if I do not answer your question, I will try really hard to answer you specifically on uh, Twitter. (laughs) Uh, But I appreciate everybody reaching out and asking me questions. It surprises me that this many people want to know about me. (laughs) So first question is from Sabra Boyd. What was the first programming language you studied? The first programming language I learned was actually HTML. Um, I was 14 and I was kind of a nerd and uh, I played this online game called EverQuest and I had a guild, which is like a group of people that you play the game with. And I really wanted a website because all of the other popular guilds on the server had websites and I was 14, so it's not like I could pay somebody to make me one. And I was always just the kind of kid that took stuff apart and figured out how it worked, so that's what I did with the website is I took it apart and saw how it worked, put one together myself. And just basically that's been my career is doing that over and over again. I, everything I have learned, um, programming language wise has been from reverse engineering. And a lot of that has been on the job. The first backend programming language I learned, um, that wasn't like JavaScript or, um, action script 
was actually Ruby. Uh, the first like real tech job that I had was in uh, 2006. And it was for this company called luxuryrealestate.com um, right before my daughter was born. And uh, there was a Ruby. Well, it was a like ASP.net shop, but they were in the process of all of their new sites were in Ruby on Rails. And I was hired there as a front end developer. Um, but I uh, quickly found that we did not have enough engineers to do all of the work that needed to be done. And there was way more back end work that needed to be done. And it was it got to a point where like I was on hold, like waiting for stuff to be done. And so I learned Ruby so that I could do the things I needed to do to move forward and ended up doing that in my free time as well in building um, some things for the community and um, ended up quitting that job so that I could be home with my daughter because I couldn't afford the <laughs> the childcare, the parking, the rent uh, in Seattle. So um, moved out to central Washington uh, and, uh, lived a little more cheaply. And that's kind of, uh, when I started, I did like my own thing for a while and mostly just around Ruby on rails. Jonathan Silvestri says, what was your biggest aha moment as it pertains to your career? Um, I think that when I got hired at Blizzard, that really shifted the way that I viewed myself. And I mean, obviously like being a woman in tech, um, an engineer, being a high school dropout, uh, not having a college degree, all of these things like weighed on me. And I kind of learned how to maneuver so that my gender and my mental health and my single momhood and <laughs> my lack of a edu formal education, um, I let those things be in either ignored or inferred, right? So um, I think that when I got hired at Blizzard, the thing that I recognized that got me through all of these interviews was just being really authentically me, not, that's not even actually a really great way to say it. It was like being honest about what I knew and what I didn't know and not talking about the stuff that I knew would put ideas in people's heads that were wrong. So I let them have assumptions about my, my background and sort of let the the code that I could write, the ideas that I did have speak for me. And um, I would say that the thing that I learned from getting hired there was that just being honest in an interview about what, like what I knew and what I didn't know, that was going to be how I continued to like move forward despite having um, setbacks and, uh, adversity. Dan Kahn asks, were there any points in your tech journey that you felt like giving up and how did you continue? Hmm. I mean, there were a lot of points when I felt like giving up, but mainly that all revolved around the exhaustion of honestly, like being a woman and having to have that felt like I had to wear that label everywhere I went and all the time. Um, 
I guess I feel like, and this is kind of sad, I felt like I continued because I didn't know what else to do. I was a high school dropout without a college degree, single mom. Like I had built this career and in order to start over, like how was I even going to do that? A few times I like applied um, to college to try to start to move towards a different career, but it was just always so unrealistic. Quinn asks, have you ever had Lozano Tabasco? So I have never tried it, um, but I do want to. So maybe I will find a way to get it. Um, I've never seen it here in the States and I've never been to Costa Rica, but um, I've definitely had people recommend that to me in the past. Um, So maybe I'll look for it. Corey Quinn asks, what would you tell someone who looks a lot like you did 10 years ago? Do they want to become you? Are there shortcuts that avoid certain pitfalls? Um, I mean, honestly, I would say that 10 years ago, I was 25. I was a single mom. I was really struggling. I hadn't even gotten the job at USA Today yet, which was like super um, pivotal in you know my career. I don't think that if I had done anything differently, uh, that I would be where I am today. I think that, you know, maybe I could have tried to get a job in the industry sooner, but the fact of the matter is, is that 10 years ago, um, I was, uh, living a different life than I am now. Um, you know, like I'm 10 years, uh, clean, of, uh, both heroin and cocaine. Um, so 10 years ago, you know, obviously like I would tell somebody who is in that same boat 10 years ago to change geography, to do exactly what I did to move. And yeah, I think they do want to become me. I think I've done pretty well for myself and, um, I feel good about, the person that I have become that I'm still becoming. And, uh, I just, you know, made a few bad choices along the way, but we, we all make bad choices. Maybe they're not the same bad choices, but everybody makes bad choices. And I would honestly tell everyone, not just somebody who was going through what I did to just own it because trying to be something that you are absolutely not is going to make you really, really lonely. Ken asks, what type of stuff did you work on and what kind of stack did you use at Blizzard? So Blizzard is uh, very similar to Apple in that uh, there's a lot of different tech stacks. So I worked in a lot of different technologies, um, everything from XSLT and free marker templates, which if you don't know what those are, good for you. <laughs> um, Java, Node.js, uh, you know, we tried basically every front end framework uh, from Marco to Vue to React, uh, Ember, like we, we kind of did it all there. And um, there's a lot of freedom in teams to have autonomy over the tech stack that you worked in. So for somebody like me who tends to be asked to hop in uh, when other teams need help because of how I am kind of like a reverse engineer my way through life, um, I got to work in a lot of different stuff. And and that's the same kind of thing that I get to do uh, at Apple, which is cool. 
Don Gibson asked, what lessons have you learned on your journey? What rings true in all jobs? I, I feel like I just say this like over and over again, but the biggest lesson I've learned is like just to be authentic and honest. And I think that people who have privilege in some areas and not in others, it's most important that those people do that so that they can understand um, how to help people who don't have those same privileges as them, um, help them be seen and recognized. And, you know, things are changing and I feel good about it. Like being able to talk about the stuff that I've been through or the things that I've done or, you know, my mental health and not fearing that I'm going to lose my job. Um, you know, things weren't like that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I feel really lucky that we're in this time where, uh, we can do that. And I can actually be a part of changing people's perspective when it comes to, um, you know, whether that be being a high school dropout or having bipolar disorder or whatever the case may be. The real Mark W one asks, how often do you feel like you've hit a growth spurt in your career? I, I don't actually think, I don't think I had any, to be quite honest. I know that's probably not the best thing that you want to hear, but like my career was very much one out of necessity and um, very few times have I gotten to just be like, I want to work here. So I'm going to get this job. You know, like when I went to work at Blizzard, that was the first time I got a job at some place where I really, really wanted to work. And USA Today was great. I loved my team, but that was like, a, I need this job or I'm going to be evicted and homeless. Every job I've taken since then has had an element of financial need to it. Um, Blizzard, I, in USA Today, I was making roughly the same amount of money. So it was definitely more of like, a, this is what I want to do. And that's the only time I've really gotten to do that. So Jamie asks, as someone who also didn't get a higher education, but is now head of decision science, how can we better identify and employ talented folks who don't have degrees in computer science, but have whatever it is that we have? So interesting is that I think that what the degrees do is give uh, a sense of confidence in education and capability and knowledge uh, that doesn't require any sort of work on the employer's side. So since we are already putting people through such stringent sort of requirements anyway, I think that open the floodgates. I, I think that when you meet people who, especially who have experience in the industry, like I just feel like we should assume that they're capable of doing the work. I know that there's a lot of stuff in this industry that is really hard. Um, but I don't know. Just <laughs> I just think that people are way more capable than we give them credit for. And people coming into this industry um, to do this job who – you know, make it through the first six months, the first year. And they're like, this is what I want to do. I am going to do this with my life. I feel like we should just assume that they're all capable of doing the work that we have to be done. 
Jeremy Morrill asks, while not traditionally considered hot sauce, do you have any thoughts on chili oil? I do. I have it in my refrigerator because I use it a lot. Um, I have like Chinese hot chili oil. I have um, all kinds of different chili oils. And I really like adding chili oils to soup um, and anything that's kind of more liquid based, anything that basically anything that doesn't need a thickener, like I'll use like a chili oil a lot of times. Serious Back Zero asks, is it easy or hard to get a programming job without any CS degree, but good programming skills? I mean, (laughs) depends on how much privilege you have, you know? Um, There's layers to everything. Like I've definitely been filtered out um, when I marked that I did not have a CS degree. And then I've had places reach out to me and they were like, I'm so sorry, we missed you. We would have loved to hire you, but you got filtered out. And then, you know, now they're changing that so that they don't filter out based on that. Um, And it's really interesting because there's a lot of jobs that say like a four-year degree or equal experience, right? So they want somebody with four years experience, but then they'll be like, well, we want somebody with a degree actually, you know, and the four years experience. So Um, I don't think that there's a straight answer to that. I do know that like since 2011, I've been able to find steady employment and, uh, without a CS degree. And part of that time, I definitely just wasn't saying that I didn't have a CS degree or any degree for that matter. Um, but also, you know, being white was helpful being a woman not so helpful. Um, but I don't know. I I feel like I just keep kind of just saying like, I I was always just really honest about like what I knew versus what I didn't know in an interview. And I think that that level of confidence makes other people feel comfortable in your potential and capabilities. And they're more easily able to look at you and not ask you these sort of surface level questions about like, oh, do you have a CS degree? Well, you just, you know, went through this exercise and you were saying like, okay, well, I know this, I don't know that. And I, that sort of squashed any concerns that I had. Uh, Pulu now asks, I mean, it's hot sauce. So it takes, so it lasts a while, but my main question when it comes to collecting, how do you maintain inventory control with regards to product expiration? Well, I, so I would say like half of my collection is in the refrigerator and the other half is in the pantry. And so hot sauces that go in the refrigerator usually last for about a year and hot sauces with preservatives, natural or otherwise, um, that go in the pantry usually last for three years. So in the refrigerator, I keep the stuff that I use most definitely towards the front, obviously, because easy access. Um, and that stuff tends to disappear pretty quickly. I use a lot of hot sauces. Like, um, I can go through like a bottle of my favorite hot sauce in a week. I put a lot of hot sauce on my food every single meal. Um, but the stuff that like, especially like the really, really hot sauce that maybe doesn't have as much flavor, um, or stuff that I just don't reach for quite as often. Um, I try to, move it towards the front. So let's say I'll have like half of the the front of my hot sauce is like the stuff I'm going to use every single day. And then like maybe like the left side of that same shelf, I'll have the stuff that 
maybe is starting to expire soon that I'm going to try to use. But do I throw hot sauce away? Probably not. (laughs) Do I keep some of it past its expiration date? Yeah. But the thing is, is like when you grow up um, poor, like you learn that expiration dates are always like, you know, they're not always like exact, (laughs) you know, like you learn how to like float eggs to see if they're good. Uh, You learn how long milk stays good past its best buy date, you know, like all of these different sour cream. Like there's a lot of stuff where you think it expires on the state, but really it'll last like, you know, three, six weeks, months (laughs) longer. And I feel like I'm just, just being terrible, but I do, I try to use what is expiring alongside my most most reached for uh sauces and um I don't know I have a lot of hot sauce but I know when they're going to expire like I know when I purchase them because I tend to purchase in groups so it's just like in my mind that I bought that hot sauce uh during that month during that year so and some of them like especially ones that go in the pantry after they've expired, they like if they're like a red hot sauce, like a cayenne based hot sauce, like they're gonna turn like a nasty brown color and you can shake it up. It might be a little bit red after that, but like maybe that's a time when you're like, mm, this probably isn't good anymore. Dave O'Flynn, do you feel you have a very different outlook to most of your peers? Absolutely, I do. I grew up very different than a lot of people did. Um, And I had a high school experience that was very different than a lot of people did. And, you know, then obviously the first 10 years of my career, very different than a lot of people. So uh, I definitely think that my outlook is very, very different. And I think that's what I have learned is the reason that it's so important to talk about it, because I have this unique intersection of um, having a lot of privilege in some ways and a lot of adversity in other ways and just... um, sharing that with other people has seemed to really help me grow as a person and help other people I see like understand adversity that they haven't experienced. Tom asks, what's the best change a small tech company can make to improve inclusiveness? I mean, honestly, the best thing that you can do is you can ask the underrepresented people that are in your organization um, for anonymous feedback about what would make them more comfortable or what things things are uncomfortable um, for them. And uh, one, one way that some smaller companies do this is with affinity groups um, so that they can actually have those discussions amongst themselves. And then there's one uh, designated affinity group leader who takes that feedback to leadership so that there's no possible way um, to identify who it was that gave the feedback, which makes that a little bit safer um, for those underrepresented people. Um, I think when you maybe only have one or two or, you know, like less than 10 people that are underrepresented in your organization, I think it can be really difficult to, um, to get that feedback to begin with because it's they are, if they're feeling unwelcome, which they probably are, it's going to be really hard for them to give that feedback and not feel like it's not the majority. So it doesn't really matter. And on top of that, what kind of, how much more excluded are they going to feel after they give that feedback and nobody identifies with it or agrees with it? Don asks best and worst hot sauce. Well, the worst hot sauce is the Tabasco brand. And 
everybody can argue with me, like Ken Wheeler, who seems to think because one has a black label on it that it's good. It's not good. It's very watery. It has no flavor. It's just gross. The, honestly, the only thing that it should go in is a Bloody Mary, and alcohol is nasty anyway. So, Cat uh, Marchand asks, Tapatio or Cholula? Well, Tapatio is my absolute favorite hot sauce. Um, maybe. Yeah, no, it is. It's the one that I have the most of. Um, I go through it like it's... I was going to say like it's a condiment. It is a condiment. Jeez. <laughs> it's definitely my favorite. I do not really like the plain Cholula, but I do really like the flavored Cholulas. And like um, when you grow up poor, you eat a lot of ramen. And uh, my favorite snack or meal or <laughs> what have you was the shrimp uh, the shrimp ramen with the uh, chili lime Cholula. Just mm, delicious. Zach Taylor asks, are you on top of managing ADHD in the workplace? So I was diagnosed with ADHD a couple months ago for the first time at age 35. So I haven't had a lot of time to, um, I guess, learn how to manage those symptoms specifically. Um, But I will say that learning that like my early inertia is a a permanent thing and not a character defect that I can control has helped me to use that in a way that is a way that benefits me and my teammates as opposed to trying to cover up the fact that I, you know, may burn out on something. So yeah, but I hope as I learn more about how my ADHD is manifested in the workplace and how it has um, made my life difficult at work in the past and how I can use those same things um, to do better, I guess. Um, I will definitely share those things. Burt Macklin asks, how do you stay motivated when things don't look great? I have a kid. I don't have a choice. (laughs) Uh, Sonic Krita asks, have you ever dealt with mental health related discrimination in the workplace or elsewhere in the industry? Absolutely. Um, So I think that I didn't recognize at the time that that's what it was. Um, but there was a workplace that I, I was at that was incredibly toxic. And I, I did tell them that I had, uh, you know, a disability, um, and everything, but it was just like constant, like, and specifically, um, my manager said to me, like, we're not your therapist. And it just, it hurt so bad that like all I was trying to do was express that like they were not giving me the tools and the space to do my job to like my, to give, let me live my, you know, exist to my full potential to work to my full potential. And it's like the only thing that this person could see was how my mental health made me not live up to his expectations. 
Kurt Kempel asks, if you could do a podcast episode with anyone, past or present, who would it be and what would you want to talk about? So I don't know if anyone knows this, but I have a mild obsession with Hypatia, which is fine because she's, you know, no longer alive. Nobody needs to worry. I'm not stalking anybody from ancient Greece. Um, but you know, I grew up loving mathematics and, uh, astronomy, especially I was a NASA junior astronaut and her story just really resonated with me. I felt like I identified with her so much and, um, it's really sad the way that, um, she was kind of destroyed. Um, and she was kind of, I don't know. She just reminds me a lot of me and that she was a very powerful woman, um, you know, very scientific and refused to believe anything that didn't have any tangible evidence. Not that there is anything wrong with believing things that you do not have tangible evidence of. Um, but unfortunately, you know, she was persecuted um, because of her free thinking nature and um, she struggled being a woman in her industry um, and just the time that she was in. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely want to talk to her and be best friends for sure. Spoodles asked, how hard was it to get employers to be interested in you? And what did you do to overcome it? I struggle <laughs> because I guess it was really hard, you know? Um, but I feel like because I knew it was going to be going into it, uh, because I, A, had imposter syndrome, well, have imposter syndrome, B, you know, knew that there weren't a lot of women in the industry at the time, um, and C, that I had all of these obstacles that I had to overcome, that I did everything I could to, like, network and meet people who worked at the places where I wanted to work. And building those relationships, like, you know, um, in some cases, like I worked on like side projects, um, with people who worked at certain places, um, finding a way to like have a big idea that I could like design and execute on myself. So like doing, being the whole package that I know that I am, you know, like being like, okay, I have all of these different talents, like and you will be able to utilize all of these different talents um, if you hire me. So for um, Blizzard, I made uh, this overlay system, which is it's super interesting now because Twitch add-ons exist, but they didn't back when I made this. And so making something that was akin to that where it was like, okay, it's going to tap in. You'll be able to, you know, hit like a an overlay, you know, button or whatever, some sort of UX utility and see, you know, what's going on in the game at any given moment um, during the time. So the, the idea of that, the uh, design of that, the interaction design of that, and then on top of that, coding it and making a reality. Um, that was how I set myself apart from other candidates. And then on top of that, going into these interviews and just being like, if they asked me a question I did not know the answer to, I just said, I don't know. I haven't had the opportunity to learn that, but I would love to, or I would, I strongly feel I would be able to. Jordan Scales asks, what hot sauce should I try with my mother who claims to not like spicy things? Um, so there's a lot of mild hot sauces that I would say are not spicy. Um, disclaimer, I 
eat a lot of really, really spicy foods and have since I was a kid. So I might have a high tolerance, but uh, my favorite mild sauce is Queen's Majesty tequila lime jalapeno hot sauce. And so usually your green hot sauces are going to be less spicy. And you can also look at the ingredients um, in hot sauce to see how high vinegar is on the list. If vinegar is very high on the list, that means it's one of the most prominent ingredients and vinegar is acidic. So it's going to intensify um, that heat versus if you have more alkaline um, uh, ingredients that are higher up on the list and the vinegar is much lower on the list, you're going to have a higher concentration of alkaline stuff. So you're going to get more of that flavor with um, some of the, the, basically calming of the alkaline properties, calming that um, acidity. Rich Salvucci wants to know, should hot sauces be refrigerated and how do you decide? Um, Honestly, I look on the label and if it says it needs to be refrigerated, I refrigerate it (laughs) and I keep it in the pantry otherwise. And I mean, I'm sure that there's some hot sauces that I keep in the pantry that might be good chilled, but I do not have, like I have literally a whole door full of hot sauce in my refrigerator and there's just no way that I could fit anything else in there. Dr. Bones wants to know what's the highest spice level you've had so far. So I've had 9 million Scovilles and that is Mad Dog 357 Plutonium number nine. I would not recommend it (laughs) unless you like really, really spicy things. That's one of those things where like you make like a pot of soup and you put a drop in there and it's going to be spicy. You got to dilute that stuff. <laughs> Otherwise you're not going to be able to taste anything for hours. Uh, Chris Corrier asks, what are your thoughts on flavor versus heat? <sighs> I mean, honestly, like <laughs> I feel like some of the hot sauces I have um, like Da Bomb, it's like, a novelty kind of thing. <laughs> like I definitely think that flavor that carries heat really well. So again, those hot sauces where the vinegar isn't super, super high on the list, um, unless you're maybe adding it to something else that has a lot of flavor. I like flavor a lot. Mary Williams asks, have you ever tried South African ch- chocolate? Um, no, I have not, but I would love to. She also asks, What's the most useful skill you learned stripping that you found transferable to working in tech? Um, direct eye contact. <laughs> Kat asked, how do I be a strong, resilient boss lady like you? And Randall Canna also wanted to know that same question. You know, you're all resilient boss ladies and you can get through literally anything. I think that it sucks to have to be in a position where you feel like you don't have support in order to grow. Um, so if you have that, use it. Um, if you don't have that, um, I hope that you can find it. You know, uh, I think that one of the biggest things I've learned that, I mean, isn't even necessarily about tech, but just about, living through adversity and, you know, being a woman, you are living with a certain level of adversity. There are unfair expectations on us, um, whether that be from men, um, you know, like I've experienced 
or just from society and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be. And maybe you get that pressure directly from your parents or other family members or your boyfriend or other partner. Um, And that kind of thing that does make you strong, you know? And I think that I'm really lucky that I was born being fiercely independent and defiant. I definitely will tell you that I am not the woman that my mother um, wanted me to be or expected me to be. And as she's learned things about my past that she didn't even know, I know it's something that she struggled with because, you know, she wanted me to be something that I'm just not. And coming to terms with who I am, whether that's because of something that I did or something that I went through. Um, and honestly, like working this stuff in Narcotics Anonymous and the, the 12 steps has given me a lot of, I, I want to say love for myself, but I'm honestly not there yet. But I'm, I'm beginning to appreciate myself um, for the things that I, not th- not for the things that I've been through, but for the ways that I have grown in what I've been through. And, you know, we're not living in a world where we should feel like we have to say like, oh, my trauma was worse than yours, or my adversity was worse than yours. Um, everybody goes through things. And I think being able to understand like what about yourself is good regardless of who you are is what makes you a resilient boss lady laura louise asks have you ever made your own hot sauce i haven't but i do have some really good ideas and i'm hoping uh that out of this podcast comes a stoked hot sauce maybe even more than one i don't know maybe we'll do three i don't know but i definitely like I hope that I get to a point where like I have that uh, time and space and excitement from the community uh, that y'all would want to try my hot sauces. Alexander Foken wants to know, how many easy, medium, hard problems did you solve on Leak Code before applying to Fang? I solved zero problems on Leak Code. Um, I have never been on that website. Actually, I take it back. I probably have been on that website. So if you are double checking me and searching to see if I have a profile, I might have a profile on there, but, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I used to practice on hacker rank and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not a student. I am an engineer and I want to build things. I don't want to solve algorithm problems. Craig Buchek asks, how would you compare the levels of misogyny in the strip club, porn, and tech industries and their levels of improvement over the past couple of decades? I realize your experiences don't necessarily speak for everyone, but perhaps you still have a friend in each. Um, So I do still have friends that are in sex work. Um, hmm. That's a really tough question because I feel like definitely in tech, it has changed or started to change the fastest, but that's mainly because the misogyny, um, a lot of it wasn't so overt and the overt stuff was kind of easy to identify and say like, Hey, this is unprofessional, but how do you say that in an industry where sex is what you're selling? (sighs) 
I do know that there are, you know, more, more vocal uh, leaders in sex work and, you know, not just um, with stripping and porn, but also, you know, with prostitution and, um, you know, online, online sex work, um, that it is getting better, but it's, it's definitely miles behind. And as far as like the levels of misogyny in every aspect of my life up until the past few years, I have been gaslit when I've called out, um, misogyny. And I would say in terms of like how it differentiates between being in tech and working in sex work is just that the, the overt discrimination again was just more easily, I wouldn't even say empathized with, but maybe it's just, it's come a lot faster versus you know, if you're working in porn and the photographer or, uh, you know, the producer wants to sleep with you or you're working in a strip club and the manager wants to sleep with you, it's a lot harder to go to somebody and say like, hey, you know, uh, my boss is is making, you know, sexual advances at me. It's a lot harder, <laughs> you know, to for somebody to look at that and be like, Oh yeah, that's terrible. It's like, okay, well you're a sex worker. What do you expect is kind of the way that they um, talk to you. And I will say that, you know, working in tech 15 years ago, you know, I had a manager who said that he had a dream about me and it was insanely inappropriate. Um, and I did report it and I was basically told that like I was overreacting and like, you know, I remember them saying that like, I don't look very wholesome. So like, what do I expect? And that those lines were very similar, but we have changed as an industry a lot faster than the sex industry. An important aspect of the nature of the theme of this season is understanding not only that it's important that we um, are patrons of Black-owned businesses, but also when we recognize parts of American culture that are being um, embraced and celebrated, um, understanding when those things that we're celebrating actually come from Black culture. Uh, there's this lyric in a Beyonce song uh, where she says, I have I've got, I think, hot sauce in my bag, swag. And uh, I always like related to that because I also have hot sauce in my bag and swag. Um, but it's different. You know, she wasn't really just talking about the hot sauce in her bag. Like it's, it's more about the fact that hot sauce has been a staple on tables in black culture for years whereas it's more starting to be uh, culturally relevant um, amongst white people um, more recently. And so I want to really take the time to point out that it's important that we know when we're co-opting Black culture and uh, to, again, like talking about that, that single story, like making sure that we are writing and talking about 
what's real and what's true. And if you're celebrating some aspect of culture, you should learn about it and learn about the things that you enjoy, learn where they come from, and don't just be excited about that hobby or that thing that you love. Really understand where that comes from and love the culture that it comes from too. Thank you for joining me for this first fireside chat alongside Big Red's Prickly Pear Almonds. And I really am looking forward to sharing uh, these fireside chats with you. And I'm going to give these Big Red's Prickly Pear Almonds uh, five embers out of five because they are just delicious. Mm-hmm.